We are rolling now. Ooh. Counting us down. Tasty. Three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey guys, welcome back to Missing Out. I'm Tari J. I'm Lex Michael. And we are joined by Brian Andrews. Yeah, it's me everybody. Hello. It's great to be back. Thanks for having me, guys. Glad to have you. Yeah. Uh, If this is your first time listening, what we do here is we introduce each other to different media, whether it be movies, books, television, experiences, things that have built us up as people, uh, and we share them in the hopes that it will build you up. This is the retrospective that is introspective. Well, I feel pretty safe. As you should. I just, I just held, I took your hand and I was like, come on this journey with us. I can trust this voice. And yeah. I was like, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I blacked out. And when I came to, I looked behind us and two sets of footprints became one. And I was like, Tari J, how? And you were like, that's when I carried you. Oh, I thought you got a jetpack. Oh. <laughs> I've been inside you this whole time. <laughs> what a what? twist. Um... It's also a way to avoid people who are tracking you. You see, you you walk in a line and they never know how many your numbers are. That's true. That's actually a survival technique is to step backwards into your own footprints. Yeah. But I think that's a slightly different story. It's like, where'd my footprints go? Maybe you step back. Oh, wait, no, I carried it. (laughs) (laughs) It's less romantic. The next next Kenneth Branagh Poirot movie and shit. Yeah. (laughs) Where did my footprints go? And it's just they were they're like these mid tier these mid tier movies like we did a couple and they did really well but now mm-hmm. that market's sort of phasing out kind of so if you want to do one of these got to do it on the cheap so it's just two hours of Kenneth Branagh wandering around the woods looking behind him occasionally like jumping back like he's trying to catch something and going hmm and then turning right back around. It's Just a real, it's a it think circles. piece, you yeah. know, it's, you don't get it. It's one of those, like a week later, after you've read a bunch of fan theories on the internet and <laughs> yeah. stuff, you go, ah, now I think I understand. Oh, the, <laughs> it's all a metaphor. And oh. Kenneth is like, it's climate change. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. That's why I seem so startled. <laughs> It just sneaks up on you. So Brian brought in Sunshine, the 2007 film directed by Danny Boyle, written by Alex Garland. Uh, So, Brian. Yes. Pitch this baby to us. Why do you like it? What shall we enjoy about it? Well, it's a science fiction thriller, and I watched it again yesterday and everything I loved about it before still holds up for me. I think it's a very unique science fiction film. It's a very unique, uh, suspenseful thriller, end of the world style film, at least for me. I think uh, just the way it's executed by Danny Boyle, the way it's written by Alex Garland, and the way it's shot by Ellen Kukler. I, I feel like I'm messing up his, his name. I believe you. Yeah. But it's great because uh, it's all in outer space. The, the basic premise is the sun is dying and we got to go reignite it. So any other anything else going on on planet Earth or between these people, rudimentary, sec- secondary. And the whole mission for these people, for the planet Earth, is to reignite the sun, because without it, we're all dead. So that's where you start off, and then where it goes from there uh, is, is very exciting in terms of uh, the, the human drama comes from that, the, the problem-solving and the the tension that builds up and all the things that happen 
when you're lost in space, or you, you could be lost at sea, the same problems arise and same things that they have to solve. Yeah. Um, so all of the character stuff works for me. The special effects are amazing because it's, it's practical. They're using practical effects. Uh, so you don't have to apologize for it. Like, oh, it was made in the 80s, and so the CGI wasn't really there or something like that. It still looks great. But I'd have to say the biggest thing for me is uh, the way the music's used and the sound design in order to make you feel uh, heighten everything that's going on. And so uh, watching it for the first time, uh, I had a 1080p TV. 2007, that was like 8K, you know, that was that was pristine. Yeah, so right, I was watching yeah. it alone at midnight with my brand new sound system 5.1, and this movie demands that just because it's it's not a flashy Michael Bay style um summer blockbuster but just with the score and the visuals and the stakes mm -hmm. yeah. of it it demands that and i believe if you sit down and you watch it uh you'll be hooked because my plan was to watch it for 30 minutes the first time i saw it I was like i'm gonna watch this and go to bed because i gotta be up at 5 a.m mm. but i started watching and i couldn't stop and I just was at the edge of my seat, and it happened again yesterday. I was just saying, this is awesome. I was actually had my hands <laughs> up. I was like, this is awesome. I still love this film. And Lex, you can attest, I don't watch too many films. It's it's bizarre. It's bizarre. You're you're a capable person at at very many jobs, many positions that uh, uh, directly facilitate the creation of motion picture material. And yet, yeah, you what you don't. Do you do? I don't understand how you do the things without absorption. I I don't know either, but I do know the, uh, the m movies that I do love, and this this one especially is one that I can champion because I also love it because it seems to have flown under the radar. It uh, I remember going to the theater in two thousand seven and seeing Superbad, mm -hmm. but then right next to that poster I saw Sunshine, and I knew it was like. That looks like a great film. Yeah, like Sunshine, <laughs> I love that. But it's not a boner comedy, so I'm not seeing that right <laughs> <Yeah>. now. <laughs> but I mean, uh, from a certain perspective, maybe it is. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. You the know, dying never... sun is a metaphor for erections. It's all about ED is what sunshine yeah. is. And the only thing that'll get this boner back is a bomb the size of Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome the, the to Icarus 2. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the bomb is Viagra. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. it's, it's all there. And it takes eight people on a spaceship to get it there. <laughs> so. Um, so this is a star-studded movie, though I feel like at the time, everyone who's in it was rel not unknown, but they were le a lot lesser known. So we have like Benedict Wong, Michelle mm -hmm. Yeoh, um, Cillian Murphy, Cillian? Cillian? Killian. Killian. Killian Murphy. Killian yeah. Murphy. Uh -huh. um, Rose Byrne. Chris, Chris oh, Evans. Yeah. Chris, Chris, Evans. Chris Evans is a big one. Uh, Cliff Curtis is in it. Mark Strong is Mark in Strong. it. Mark Strong, yep, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, And yeah, yeah. I haven't, uh, so, so I saw this movie in theaters in 2007. Oh, you lucky man. Saw it once. Today, before the show, was the second time I've ever seen this movie. So I knew what happened, right? But I'm coming to it uh, uh, practically fresh. It's like I'm mm. watching it, but I have spoilers. Like I'm watching it for the first time, but I have spoilers, sure. is what the general experience was comparable to. And watching it again, having forgotten most of this cast, I was struck by how few of them I had been familiar with at the time. Mm -hmm. And how pretty much everybody to a person... Had, has gone on to much, much, much bigger, higher-profile careers. Yeah, I think everyone in... Almost everyone in this movie has actually 
been uh, in the MCU with the exception of Killian Murphy, who is in the DCEU. Was, uh, I don't think Cliff Curtis has been in one of these. He's been in something, I think. And uh, the, the gentleman who plays the, the captain, Kanata, is a Hiroyuki Sonata. I believe that's how you say his name. Yeah. Fun story. I, I actually met him one time, but I, I, was, too, I was too chicken. To say, I love you in sunshine. I, I think it was, you know, it was kind of like a work thing. But I saw him, and that's the first thing I thought of. It was just, ah, you poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's, that was a rough mission for him. So, But, uh, yeah. Yeah. And so you had mentioned the, uh, the practical uh, effects. And I thought uh, I had read that essentially the hardest effect for them to do was all the sun stuff because built like rendering the sun took um, a large number of hours, mm-hmm. but everything else, like every bit of uh, CG had a practical component so that they could get as genuine reaction from the crew as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it really showed like there is a level of commitment to authenticity on this set that I thought was really admirable. Like they also had the, the, cast and crew lived together for a while. Yeah. Each of them did like um, space training. They had required reading. Like they really wanted to portray it. And it, it like it rings out throughout the movie. There were moments where I was like, uh, space is scary. And, and just the level of like physical detail that they included was uh, phenomenal. Yes. And that's the thing is that within the first 10 minutes, first 10 minutes is just about, here, here's here's how things are going on the spaceship heading to the sun. It's called Icarus 2. And so the crew is basically it living out their life. And I think they pull a lot from Ridley Scott's Alien in terms of whether it's aesthetic or just, you know, day in the life, the, the, how they interact and talk. And it's not it's very grounded. And, and right. All this insanely uh, futuristic technology by today's standards, but everything feels very lived in. Yes, and you, you have there, you know, the big buttons to press, and you have the this circular device that you have to spin around. So it's all really still tactile. Yes, and doesn't. There's a few things that they they stylize, like there's a hearing cone where you you have to put your head into this certain portion of it so you can hear the signal, which is like ooh, space age, and right. it offers a cool visual. And going back to the rendering the sun. Uh, in that regard, you know, the, what I'm speaking of this comm set is green and, you know, obviously the sun is full of oranges and I noticed the color, especially this time around, maybe it's just from focusing more on cinematography and watching films in that regard, but yeah, just the sun itself, you, you can see why, um, there's the, the first scene, it's not a spoiler. The, there's a gentleman, Cyril is, uh, looking at the sun in their, their viewing area. And asking, oh, how bright is this? You're seeing the sun at 2% brightness. Mm-hmm. And so then you're immediately like, that is minuscule. And so he's curious, how, can I see 4%? You will go blind. Yeah. <laughs> the computer the computer on the spaceship says, you will go blind. Right. What can I see? Like, uh, 3.1% for 30 seconds. Right. And so he straps in. He basically says, do it. And just gets flooded with light. And then, you know, the sound, the sound design kicks in and just blows up and so then uh 
So throughout that whole experience, you got the camera floating around. You got the deep oranges and reds of the sun peeking through and it's bouncing off the walls. So yeah, the, the practicalness of how it's shot. And then it's, it's beautiful on its own. It doesn't need a big explosion or a huge tracking shot outside with all this extra stuff going on. It still works. In terms of cinematography, those sequences where characters are hit with this blinding sunlight, you get these super tight close-ups with this crazy shaky cam. So you actually feel, you, you can almost get that sensation of being blasted in the face along with that character. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then, you know, the, 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 the super close-ups, you're right, in terms of the eye suddenly starts to look like the sun or sunglasses start to look like the sun is all this... There's all this refracting of light, and the one another practical effect is they actually used additional pieces of glass, put it in front of the lens to, to do more refraction, and so it almost looks like it could be computer generated. But I w did watch a little bit of a behind the scenes video where they just had the camera going, had the actors working, and they just moving some pieces of glass, <laughs> just finding like, oh, that one worked. They probably they probably had to sift through 20 minutes of them playing with pieces yeah. of glass. That they, you know, they grabbed off of some crafty table or something like that, but it worked. And it, 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 that with the sound design married together makes for an emotional response. Yeah. Um, I want to drop down the spoiler wall right now because I want to talk a little bit about some of the themes. Um, just especially as you're talking about just the, the blaring magnitude of the sun and how it's represented in the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, so guys, I hope you're sold. Uh, if not by the our talk of the cast, then the talk of the sweet practical effects or the great storytelling and the cinematography. So if you haven't seen it, uh, I recommend it. Check it out and then come back. If you have seen it, continue on this journey with us. But now the spoiler wall is going down and it's down. So um, I, I really liked... I had read that there was a little bit of... There was a lot more... Um, like religious uh, metaphor in the original script, but Danny Boyle wanted to like make it more subtle. It wanted to like tape, taper it down just to appeal to wider audiences. Mm -hmm. um, but like you can still feel the remnants in the way that the serial character almost kind of worships the sun and just wants to bask in its light. And at the end you get this character who has essentially become uh, a, I don't even know how to like a like a like a sun wraith. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Super. It gets it supernatural in that regard, but uh, but yeah, that that is a big theme. That the first time you watch it, you just you're trying to collect the information. So that the first scene where he's in the sun room, you know, it, it's establishing obviously that. The sun can kill you. This is an enemy. We need the sun. <laughs> I but... love that we have to establish that the sun can kill you. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's beautiful. It's dangerous. I, it, I started to think of it as, as a, you know, out at sea movie. It mm -hmm. might as well be because the ocean is, is the same thing. It's beautiful, but it can swallow you whole. Yeah. But then, yeah. But then at the same time, the next thing that happens is we're, we're sitting down, we're having lunch with the whole crew. And while all this action's going on, Cyril's talking about the sun, but but the way it's shot, you could totally miss what the, his fascination with it. So it's darkness is the absence of something, but total light it envelops you, it becomes you, and you, so you can see here in the dialogue uh, that you know this is starting to happen with him. And and like you said, we it it they breadcrumb it along the way so that it's not winking too much, but it definitely. Uh, pre presents itself by the third act mm -hmm. in, in its most extreme form. 
which that that has to be the most contentious part of the film, I'd say, is the final act, but it still works for me. Yeah, I, I remember the first time I saw it, the only other time I saw it, uh, I had an experience not dissimilar from what I think a lot of people had, which is when you don't know where it's all going, it feels a bit like it turns into a completely different movie mm -hmm. somewhere in the third act. But going back, knowing where it's heading, you can definitely see how they're laying the groundwork for that, for it to go all the way in that direction. It's all, it's there, but I could definitely see if you're going in not knowing what you're getting, what you're in for, it feels very abrupt and jarring. Mm -hmm. and, and then the filmmaking as well, where uh, he's able to, It's there's a lot of uh, longer shots, there's a lot of, uh, you know, just when they shoot the outside of the ship, it's very flowing and, and all of it's really slow. And then even when you have a big action set piece outside the ship, things gradually happen nice and slow but then the moment that the third act kicks in and it, it takes that tonal shift the editing's much faster and it's more stylized shots and things like that so it does it i was watching it and going yeah this is shot somewhat differently uh than the beginning portion of the movie right well and and on top of aesthetic shifts in terms of technical uh cinematography yeah, you've got a, an almost genre shift into slasher territory, but you also get these big, like there's that big, ab totally abstract seeming space that they're in with the, basically the grid floor. You mm -hmm. know, it feels completely disconnected from reality mm -hmm. in a way that the rest of that last act feels completely disconnected from any kind of discernible, recognizable reality. Yes. Which is interesting because they there's a line that kind of lays the groundwork for that whole section, which I, I was wondering if they were going to play with, where they're running the simulation on the payload and they get to 70%. And, and he's like, no one knows what's going to happen. Like, time and gravity and space are all going to be mixed together. Like, mm -hmm. ooh, it becomes unquantifiable. Yes. Right. Um, so, like, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we got that payoff of it. Um, essentially becoming a more psychedelic bonkers thing, especially because. Um, you, you feel, and I think that because it had so many different inspirations, you feel all of the different inspirations kind of coalescing some of them well, and some of them a little more shakily. So like the beginning is very much like 2001, a space odyssey with a little bit of aliens thrown in there. Um, and then the end you, you get just as much 2000 space odyssey, but the end of that, where you get the, the like weird psychedelic roomy type stuff mm -hmm. um and then you've also got like a freddy krueger looking motherfucker right killing folks yes because he because he worships the sun thinks he's the last man uh out there everybody else is dead am i alone with god now i've spent yes. seven years talking to god <laughs> <laughs> and then he gets up off the floor and he's like and just again the sound of just flesh ripping Ugh. and you do oh, get occasional shots of mark strong's face but for the most part he's practically an abstraction himself at that point yeah mm -hmm. well and then going into talking about some of these these points where it seems like once they're in the grid like bomb structure that it seems totally detached uh one of the notes i wrote down when i was watching was the the cinematography of the theoretical or the conceptual or it's when we start saying space and time are gonna mix and bend is like what does that look like how do you 
convey that. And I think that's really exciting because again, with the, the practical nature of how it's shot, it's like, okay, we, how do we see something that nobody's ever seen before? How do we shoot something that we can only talk about or philosophize about versus we can make a half a million man army in my computer and we can put it in a film. You know, so that we, we reached that threshold even in 2007 where you had your Troys and things like that. You had your Lord of the Rings where you're able to smash huge animated uh, soldiers together in battle. And that was a spectacle and exciting. But you know, after a while, I think you, that gets old. And so what I find fascinating is, yeah, space and time become smeared together. What does that look like? I'm still stuck on Troy. I completely forgot Troy was a movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I just remember the long the long shots where people are smashing into each other. I Truth just remember Brad Pitt being like, is there no one else? <laughs> and I think he kills Eric Bana. Spoilers for Troy. Uh, yeah, oh, I don't know. <laughs> How dare you? Troy, I've never seen it. Troy's put Troilers. Oh, Troilers. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, it's oh, it's no. all bad now. Jeez. Oh, um, wasn't uh, Cat- Cassie, she was in Troy, right? I believe I had read that she, her performance in Troy is how she got into this movie. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and well, Rose Byrne has gone on to a very, very big, big career yes. since. So with Rose, you know, Rose, here's another thing about the film is it's eight people on a ship and they all have a purpose and they all fight for their purpose throughout the whole movie, you know. We that have, was the original title. That's, we all fight for our Alex, purpose. Alex Garland turned in the script, and it's like eight people on a ship, and we all have our individual <laughs> jobs, and we're all fighting for survival. Uh-huh. A script by Alex Garland. Yeah. <laughs> After several rewrites, they came up with Sunshine. <laughs> just yeah. like, He's like, your marketing people will do it. Don't worry about it. It's a very exciting time for titles. <laughs> the title page is just the first page of the script. Mm. And it's it's got the, the marks on it. Then it's like, that's the whole title by date draft. Well, Alex Garland was a big Panic at the Disco fan. So he saw how long their song titles were. And he's like, I could do that for movies. Yeah. I that, mean, it was a good time for that. <laughs> you know, It was a great time for sentence long titles for songs. <laughs> that's um, how we end up with like, the Birds of Prey title. In the title of the Birds of Prey movie, they're making... Something like uh, uh, Birds of Prey and the Emancipation of Harley Quinn, Fantabulous Emancipation know, of man. something. It's a big string of words. Yeah, DC likes their long titles. Mm-hmm. Batman v Superman, Dawn, Dawn of, of Justice. Justice. That uh, means it's more serious film if I put more words on front. Right, of course. Uh-huh. Um, see what it's talk about, Rose Byrne. <laughs> 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 What? I can't talk about it now. This, uh, no, just kidding. So, but she's the pilot, and uh, but then she is also somewhat of the emotional uh, core or the the soft core of the group versus uh, Chris Evans, who is a co-pilot slash engineer on on the whole ship, uh, and then Rose Byrne is like the heart of the crew. The bar she has to clear is maybe we shouldn't just kill that guy. Yes. <laughs> and then, but then again, that's the great thing about this film is because they present everything and everybody pleads their case and you go, yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree with you too. This is a dilemma. And it's all for the sake of mankind. And so, yeah. The, the stakes couldn't be higher. And there's a lovely sequence. There's a couple, well, there's a couple of them where uh, Cyril is is talking about the risk of... So, you know, it's Icarus 2 is what we're talking about. 
They're on the they're on the Icarus two. Icarus one was the ship that went out seven years ago, and so they they kind of just say it, don't really give it much attention, and then guess what? We get to Icarus one is sending a, a distress beacon. What should we do? And so then Cyril lays it out. It's like well, they, we we could adjust our trajectory. We could. It's so close, 10,000 miles away. It's so close. And you go, oh, my gosh, that's, why is that so close? We're in the infinite, 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 infinity of space. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I had to be disappointed in myself to say it. Oh. But um, so even in that, in that regard, uh, he's listing, oh, is it worth, the, worth the trouble? Should we get a second bomb out of this? We're not there to save their lives. We're there to get a second chance at the only chance we got to save our planet. And then he says a lovely thing uh, after um, after Chris Evans' mace says, you know, his, he says his side of the story, we shouldn't do that. It's too risky. He's like, you're right. It's a risk assessment. And if you know anything about the military, we fill out risk assessments all the time. Mm. And so when I was watching this with some army buddies and he just stops and says, it's a risk assessment. We all went, yeah. <laughs> and, we, and, we, and we clinked our drinks together. Um and so that's just something I really like is the drama is always focused on that. It's not, you slept with her? How dare right. you? Because that was another thing that, that was in the original film. There's a little deeper connection between, between uh, Cassie and Kappa. There was a more overt relationship between the two of them. Mm. But then they peeled that back as well. And so, you know, peeling back the sun worships, peeling back the, the, uh, the relationship stuff, it really just leaves you with, we got to go ignite the sun and, and it uh, keeps the focus seemingly. Would you, would you say uh, having, having your uh, uh, military background, right? And uh, in terms of risk assessment, if science fiction has taught me one thing, it's you don't ever fucking go off mission. Every time <laughs> these fuckers go off mission, everyone dies. Yeah. Every time. So do you, do you think, do both of you, do you think that it was worth, clearly it didn't pan out well for them, Mm-mm. but let's assume that they don't all it, die. Like, let's assume it's not a guarantee that they're all toast. Does it, is it sound? Do you think it's a sound, rational decision to run the risk of going and getting that other thing when hopefully you've planned the thing out well enough that you could pull it off? Well, I think it becomes a matter of the simplest truths, you know, is that first principles theory where it's, you know, you reason your way back from the most simplest truth and then you can, you can build from there. And so when they run the simulation that they say, we're going to vote. No, we're not. We're going to give it to the most qualified person to make this decision Our physicist. And then Kappa goes, shit, (laughs) why me? Um, And so then he runs the simulator in their, in their big earth room and basically all the calculations, all the data gives them nothing. And then after that, he just goes, two less hopes are better than one. And so like, the captain goes, that's it. It's like, oh, so then with that logic, it's like, okay, that makes sense. We don't know if it's going to work. We don't know if throwing a bomb into the sun is going to reignite it. But if we have two, that might be better. So um, but right, I can if, see why they would want to do that. I get the logic, but if time is of the essence, right? Like right. if the sun's going out and you don't know for sure that no other obstacles are between you and your ultimate destination... I, I would just be sitting there like, yo, guys, we have like, but there's a plan. Mm-hmm. There's a plan. There's a mission. Mm-hmm. We might go over there, and the sun might poof while we're over there. We should just go. We should go. That look, I see the sun. We should just go that way. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. I mean, I don't feel like I feel like the risk heavily outweighed the reward. Yes, maybe it didn't. Maybe it wouldn't have worked. But if if 
the one that they did didn't work, then the second one wouldn't have done it either. So, I mean, they should have just completed and had the wherewithal to, like, if they were going to visit it, do it after you you set the payload loose. You know, maybe then venture your 100,000 miles away. That's fine. Do what mm-hmm. you want with your time. But, like, do the mission first. Yeah, absolutely. It, that's, that is the struggle of it is, you know, it's... It's still a film. <laughs> Sadly. No. Yeah, I know. Right. What if, you if, do is you you deliver the payload, right? You complete your mission. And then you turn around, go back to Icarus 1 at that point, mm-hmm. get their bomb, come back to Earth and be like, look, we didn't even use a bomb. We did it with magic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Put these men in jail. Yeah. Burn the witches. <laughs> but I spent seven years talking to God. <laughs> yeah, they keep him in a cage, bring him back. <laughs> Barnum and Bailey Circus. It's <laughs> like, hey, let me out. <laughs> um, but you're right. Like, if if they hadn't made the decision to go to Icarus One, we wouldn't have had a movie. It would yeah. have been just a bunch of people walking over and then been like, "We accomplished our mission. You guys want to hang out?" <laughs> that went well. <laughs> yes. Um, but at the same time, I do feel like I enjoyed a lot of the uh, the space survival stuff, like them, just the stuff of them having to like fix three panels because if they are one degree off um then like they might burn to death like mm-hmm. that stuff was really interesting to me yeah and so like even if that were the whole movie i would have been down just because it it has the same feel as like gravity or mm-hmm. just that just that <laughs> one movie um well then interstellar was another pretty recent one where that becomes the big difference between those two for me is is the whole human interest angle, the the, the human element or the relationships element, because they spend a fair amount of time on planet Earth, and then you've got you know uh, uh, Murph, you know the, the 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 daughter subplot and and the whole time travel piece. But then the moment they're out in outer space and having to deal with those same things, if we land on this planet, seven years is going to go by because the gravitational pull, and you just go, mm-hmm. yeah, wow, this is this is something I have never had to consider in my entire life. <laughs> and I'm so relieved. You know, I get in my car, I upload ways, and then I say, I'm going to go to my friends to do a podcast. I don't have to worry about gravitational shifts along the way. Or You get here, we've aged seven years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I shouldn't have take, taken La Brea. <laughs> um, it also reminded me of The Martian because of the idea of having to do these like super advanced calculations and how being just the smallest amount off can result in utter disaster. Yeah. And Benedict Wong was in that one too. And also both, both films feature nice uh, botanist representation. Ooh. Got some plant cultivation, got some green thumbed characters in both pictures. And I'm not talking about Martians. That's yeah. Oh, oh, I I see what you did there. I'm just, I'm just doing you today. (laughs) I'm doing, I'm doing the Tari J shtick. It's a good bit. I love it. I just, I have, I mentally checked out like half a week ago uh-huh. and I've just been trying to do you since okay. then. Then I'm going to do Lex. I'm like, boo, you made it bad. <laughs> you made it bad. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're Is the that guy. Jimmy Stewart? Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you made it bad. Oh. You're, you're ruining the sun. Where's Lex Michael? <laughs> Your jokes hurt me. Oh, no. Oh, I was having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Oh, he wasn't in that film. They, really the good. horrors of CGI did not bring Jimmy Stewart onto the Icarus 2. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. spent six years talking to God. 
he could have been he could have been seven he could have been uh harvey the the second in command the comms officer who's he was a little weasley he was yeah i read that harvey was the the character and the name is based off of harvey weinstein because uh, both garland and um uh, boyle hate that guy and so oh. they were like, we're going to name this gross, dumb, rude guy after him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> and he got sent off into outer space. Oh, yeah. no. After, that is also a great little sequence where uh, they're, they're, they've gone from the Icarus 2 to the Icarus run, 1. They're exploring it. And then the ship separates. And so now they got the vacuum of space between the two ships. And they got to launch across. And so then Harvey shows up and goes, what's happening? Oh, we need to we need to get Kappa back so he can he's the only one who can deliver the payload. But I'm the captain of the ship. <laughs> but I want to be the one who survives. Yes. <laughs> Me. Uh-huh. What are you going to do? Shuttle back more suits and then um and then they say somebody has to stick stick around to open up the door. They have to manually override it and then Harvey once again Oh, I get it. It's gonna be me, isn't it? <laughs> and Cyril, no, it's me. And there's just this lovely shot, like a two shot, where of um, Harvey just standing there, and goes back to wrapping himself up. <laughs> like, like that moment <laughs> read to pads. me, like he had this moment of clarity where he realized, oh, I am gonna survive this, and I'm a piece of shit, and I'm never gonna live this down. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, he went off course because he's just like, you know I can't what? do it. I just oh, can't face it. <laughs> oh, no. Chris Evans is going to give me shit. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so speaking of Harvey floating off into space, I remembered that everybody meets their uh, their grisly demises over the course of this film. I did not recall how absolutely harrowing some of these deaths are. Mm-hmm. Harvey freezes to death in the vacuum of space, and you see the moment where he opens his mouth and he just exhales ice. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's I I am glad that's not me. I <laughs> I'm good not going to space unless absolutely necessary if that means that can occur. Well, this and then it makes a lot of sense that they did not like Harvey and they named his character after Harvey Weinstein cuz they get you get the basically the car backing up over the corpse shot, which is the edge of the ship. You see a little old frozen Harvey Poof! <laughs> it gets blown up on fire. You yeah. didn't need that shot. I mean, it could still tell you that. Hey, you're look at the look at how scary space is. Again, yeah. still dead. I mean, he also like his corpse gets hit by a, just a piece of the ship, and yeah. his arm like I think one of his towers even <laughs> yeah. killed by his own sword. <laughs> so good. Like, yes, it makes a lot of sense now. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, and then Chris Evans, the the Human Torch gets frozen to death as well yeah he's uh he's got a got a habit of playing characters that spend a lot of time frozen, frozen. <laughs> <laughs> talk about a winter soldier <laughs> <laughs> i i never at this point, i haven't seen snowpiercer either no. everyone listening in their car just swerved <laughs> Because if they didn't adjust their shields on their car, so then the sun burnt their comm towers oh, off. No, um, people make mistakes. They do. Um, I feel like Chris Evans was really good in this movie. Um, yes, he's a he's good in a lot of movies. He does. He's a very renowned actor, and he's great at what he does. Um, and I'm, but I'm also uh, all that to say, I'm glad they made him cut his hair. 
Um, well, I thought it was a smart decision because I didn't immediately pick up back in 2007 who he was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to have him scruffy, bearded, and all that, he didn't doesn't look like the jock that he was back in those days. You know, he was, he was in Fantastic Four. He was in, what was that? He was in some comedy uh, film. Yeah, not, not another, another team movie. movie. Not another yeah, team movie. That's the first place I can recall seeing him. Yeah. Same. And so then the moment he gets the haircut, that's when I made the connection. Oh, oh, it's that... Great. I already been. I've already enjoyed this character enough, and not going. Oh, that's the Human Torch or whatever, you know. So it's uh, yes, yeah, that guy I like, but surlier. Uh huh. <laughs> for sure. But yeah, and then getting the haircut, it's no longer distracting. But right. it, that also informs, lets you know it's, it's been a while. Mm-hmm. It's cabin fever setting in sixteen months. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the beard had a purpose. Catch Another, food. Right. To catch yeah. food. Yeah. That's right. You know, <laughs> to stay warm yeah. in the vacuum of space. It didn't work. It didn't protect him. Yeah, if no. only he had put his hand in his beard, <laughs> right. you know, he wouldn't have gotten when he got in that bite. coolant tank. Yes, <laughs> yeah. he should have taken. He should have taken off some clothes as I was watching. That, like that's no way to stay warm, you know, because that's how you. That's you dry off faster if you don't have clothes on. But then that would have been a very awkward scene <laughs> to just cut back and forth from. I mean, slowly just articles of clothing in slow motion flying off of his body, and then he just throws his fist in the air and goes, "Yeah!" <laughs> and fucking cannonballs into the coolant. <laughs> well, well, Adagio and D minor is playing, yeah, by Kevin Murphy. What is that, John Murphy? I keep missing up that gentleman's name, the gentleman who did the the score. It's uh, Which, it's one of the Murphys. Yeah. It's one of the renowned Murphys. Killian? Yeah. <laughs> Killian Murphy. That's why you thought of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, them and Underworld, uh, you know, make some awesome music for this this film. And there's there's another moment. Uh, well, one of my favorites has to be when they just take the time to say, hey, guys, you got you to gotta come see this. And they all sit down and the, the captain of the ship says, I give you Mercury. And it just stops. They open up the the wall. It lets some more sunlight in. And you just see this the floating ball of mercury going by, while some, you know, plinking of guitars, little tech sounds is is the whole atmosphere of the scene. It's just this nice little touch. It unnecessary. All it really did was let you know that there's it's beautiful out here. There's there's some beauty to be had, and and they're that close to mercury, and we you know we barely ever get to see that darn thing. I yeah. have not been that close to mercury myself. Never. Me neither. Oh, guys, you should go. It's really nice in the summertime. It's, the Airbnbs are, are pretty approachable. That's It's true. You know, you really want to stay on the south side, though. It's uh, the best. It's it's more, it's more where you feel like a local. Well, now I want to put up a, a Icarus One Airbnb ad. We're just, you know, it's, the location of it is millions of miles away. <laughs> yeah. Warning, may have, may have a sun worshiper dwelling inside of it. Right. I feel like Hashtag you don't want to... our dust. You don't, you don't want to attract too much attention, though, because you don't want them to gentrify Mercury. Right, yeah. Mm, that's true, that's, that's true. true. Um, but I don't know. It could use a Starbucks. <laughs> it really could. And a Whole Foods. And, and a Whole Foods. Yeah, and that's the one Panera that Bread. Oh, yeah. You need a Panera Bread. Though Panera Bread is, uh, it's go, it's getting, it's getting low in quality. It's, it's dropping down in that's terms true. of like. There is a sunglass hut though. <laughs> so that's very good. important. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Good. Uh-huh. They're happen. doing real well. They're doing <laughs> Mercury. <laughs> Jeez. It's their primary export. <laughs> Just cheap sunglasses. <laughs> Oh man, that's what that's what they should have done with the mo- movie. You know, we we uh, we're picking up signals from Icarus One. 
yo, but guys, we're like 50 miles from Mercury. We get some great sunglasses. Yeah! They all high five, and then it's like a spring break yeah. montage. <laughs> Are you ready for the summer? And the, and the glasses, the, the supposedly super advanced glasses they have on Mercury are just the shitty plastic ones you get in bowling alleys and stuff. Folkleys, yeah. Yeah, it's it's if this were were like a TV show, this would be their beach episode. <laughs> you know, the beach. Like episode. you take a little break from the drama. That Mercury scene to me, because this was my first time seeing it. It was it very much felt like one of those moments where you're like, this is the last time anyone's ever going to be happy. <laughs> um, and That's it, true. Yeah, because like that. every thriller, every like space horror movie has one of those moments where everyone's getting along and doing a thing and then you're like oh no this is where where it starts going downhill we're at the peak guys (laughs) (laughs) pretty soon we're going to be flashing the the flashlights across the lens we're going to see the the dead people from icarus one flash (laughs) on the screen can i talk about the flash frames where they kept showing this was like the beginning of the like tone shift when they got on the Icarus one. And every Mm -hmm. time the flashlight would hit the camera, it would be like a flash of one of the old crew's faces. Mm -hmm. Um, And it like, it was successful in giving this feeling of a like unsettling, like extra or like supernatural feeling. Mm -hmm. But I personally did not like it. Why didn't I didn't, I, I, I won. I'm not like, I don't like flash frames. I hate them. <laughs> okay, wait. So before we go further, explain. I, I think that they're jarring, and I, they, like, take me out of movies. Okay, because they're meant to be jarring. I know that. <laughs> but, yeah, so it, they worked for me, uh, and they worked for me again. And I was watching with some friends who I hadn't seen it, and that happened. I just love the moment when it happens because everybody goes, wait, what? Yep. What, what was that? Did you guys see that? And then it happens again. Oh, happened again. Just make it stop. It's terrible. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a happy face, but the fact that it just flashes onto the screen, it's yeah. all sunburnt looking. And then it and then it leads to the conclusion, which is, oh, this is the, the crew of the Icarus One. Yeah. And it and they do that so they can use it again later. And I think that's when it really worked for me when they did it the they, second time. When they paid that off. Well, yeah, when when the Icarus two, you know, the onboard computer was talking, you are dying, Kappa. It's like no, and we we know we're dying. We're we're sending this bomb into the sun. It's going to be okay. You won't make it on time. And then they start doing the math. Negative yeah. five crew members. Flash of pinbacker. It's like oh no, <laughs> it's <laughs> happening again. <laughs> But I, but I also like I, I see the the jarring effect works for me because it it puts you very much off guard, and it's a way when you're getting the flashes of the crew's faces, it's a way to make it less abstract when they come in and they see these bodies that are essentially ash. You can actually connect it to a human face and go like, oh no, these are real people that are dead. Yeah, this isn't like this isn't some crazy asshole brought a bunch of soot onto the ship and made little people sculptures. These are dead people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they were happy at one point in this photo. They're right. very optimistic, right? And that's you know the, the only time we ever see either crew on planet Earth is that photo, seemingly, or you know wherever they took that photo. I, that that's what I I also love about this film too is just first shot is the ship coming at you. We're already there, folks. We're already out. 
on this mission. We're not going to see them kissing their kids goodbye. Right, They're irrelevant. A, you don't get that scene from like Mission to Mars that opens the movie where it's the party and it's like, all right, Jim, have fun in space. Don't die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Jim's like, I won't, folks. Yeah. I'm the protagonist. <laughs> no one sees Jim right. again. <laughs> I know the scale of... <laughs> I know the scale says that you'll only be 13 pounds in space, but you should lay off the sweets, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but I love potato chips. And somehow, like, Lay's is a sponsor of the movie, and potato chips factors significantly into the climax of the yeah, he's Careful, like, they're ruffled. <laughs> he's rewiring one of the things, and he's like, I just need, oh, salt is a great conductor. He puts a chip in the motherboard, and that's how he fixes the ship. Yay. <laughs> yep. That's sponsored by Lay's. By Lay's, yes. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Lay's, lay your life on the line. <laughs> Don't worship the sun. <laughs> I guess sun chips would be a pretty good. Uh, ah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. the great. that's the logical yeah. corporate. That's tie-in. right. Well, that's that's the writer's room. <laughs> Which <laughs> chip? Is, what, it was oh, right there. <laughs> you dumb asshole! <laughs> it was right there. <laughs> womp womp. <laughs> oh man. Um, I, speaking of writer's room, I really liked, um, how the movie got a really bittersweet ending where like they accomplished their mission and they established early on with, um, Killian, Killian, Killian mm-hmm. Murphy's Killian. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, like the video, beer. uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, with his, his like message back to his sister, um, that like if, if they succeed in their mission, like it'll be an extra bright day. Mm-hmm. And so like, and I like that that was eventually paid off with like her watching the thing and then getting that bright day because of him uh, and, and the, you know, uh, work of everyone working together to complete this mission, despite all of the tragedy that befell them. Yes, absolutely. Cause it's, it, it's beautiful. I, I do love the way it ends because that hard shift into a horror slasher film, it we we run that through. We go all the way to the end where we start ripping skin off of Pinbacker's arm, and then you fall off the the bomb. The bomb has its own gravity, and so they slide across it. Space and time is bending, but then we eventually get to when he ignites the bomb, and everything slows down, and we just get to have this surreal moment where it's okay, he's dead, but but you got this wall of, of sun and flame and he's able to touch it and, and, and admire it and love it. And then we cut to the super blue planet earth things slow down and yeah, you, you get to basically pay off one more thing where it's yeah message back home and say, Hey, it's going to be okay. And then, yeah, we know that it was not all for nothing. Yeah. Is there's something really fulfilling and poetic about it. But what I really wanted was for them to go just a couple minutes further and turn it into a monkey's paw scenario where they reignited the sun, but the sun turns around and it's Pinbaker's face like the fucking Teletubby baby <laughs> son. And he's just like, I am God, God now. <laughs> and the Kappa sister drops <laughs> to her knees. And just like one tear comes out of her horrified eyes. And then that the Puff Daddy song from the the uh, Godzilla soundtrack <laughs> comes <laughs> in. <laughs> and, then, and then smash cut to brought to you by Sun Chips. And then the credits roll. And a big crunch sound. <laughs> <laughs> that was in the first edit. Yeah, that was, that was 
<laughs> yeah, they really had to like taper it back a little bit. Just <laughs> it was just the effect would have been far too costly. Uh, right. Speaking yeah, of yeah. which, I'm blown away by the fact that they apparently made this movie for forty million. That's yeah. This is a massive movie. It mm-hmm. feels the the scope of this thing, the scale of this thing, feels so huge. And as we've as we've been talking about, just about everything is done practically. Mm-hmm. This movie feels like it costs a crazy amount of money, and he was able to make this thing for 40 million bucks. Yeah, and I think... I mean, with the qualifier that, yes, $40 million is a lot of money. It's but not 200 it, million, right, yeah. If we're talking like what they poured into uh, uh, like the most recent two Avengers movies. Mm-hmm. You could buy a continent for that amount of money. By yes. comparison, 40 million small potatoes and the fact that they were able to stretch that budget. It looks like there was so much more money than that on the screen. I find it really impressive. Me too. And uh, there's there's this um, the, the sequence where they have to go and, and uh, fix the, the panels and they have to reset those. And just the wave of, of heat and sun and like the parallaxing and, uh, and the wave that they're able to accomplish there. I haven't. I didn't do any reading on what that was or what sort of mixture of effects is going on there. But it's so effective. Yeah. And and then with forty million dollars, you go well. They weren't able to throw a ton of money at this thing, and it seemingly isn't just a wall of CGI. It's not a wall of of computer animators going to town. Uh, they just they're able to get accomplished things that still hold up, and they're going to keep holding up. Uh, when I show this to more and more friends, and just go, hey, let's watch this because it. Because I don't have to apologize for any of the sequences. Right. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the, like, for example, when they were fixing the panels, it was a mixture of um, models that they use, like miniatures, mm-hmm. um, and just like stage work. Like when you see them walking on the things, it's, it's a sound stage. But then like all of the big exterior shots um, were models that they used. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's that great marriage of, of, um, using everything that you've got, every tool, uh, because the, the 90s were exciting in that regard, the early 90s, because you, you know, like Jurassic Park is the best example. Or how many minutes of that is actually computer-generated? Like seven minutes, something Give along those lines. Yeah. yeah. And so, but then the rest of the time, yeah, you got to use puppets and animatronics, and you got to you know uh, not show everything in the frame, or Alien is another great example of that. And so it to go, oh, this was a miniature, and then we cut to this, and this this part was practical and just to jump around and we're still not at a place technologically where even the best cg can replicate that tactile feel of using actual you know sets models miniatures i miss miniatures Mm -hmm. i really do i really do because again the best cg is still not even when you're looking at something that isn't meant to look human there's still that uncanny valley type thing where you go oh this is really well rendered but oh I know instinctually that this is not something I could touch. Right. And it makes all the difference as far as grounding the audience in the reality of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you, like um, my favorite instance of miniatures is that sequence from Independence Day where they blow up the White House, which is, it's all just a, a inverted, not inverted, but like a, a vertical version of like what the White House looks like. They blow it up and then they, which allowed them to film like all the fire going up and out. And they composited that into the, like the streets and things of that sort, which was a, a, a great way of you. And I guess, you know, another example would be like star Wars, all the old <laughs> like, star oh, yeah, Wars. That yes. yeah, 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 whatever. Uh, I haven't heard of that film. 
Tell me more. Uh, you wouldn't like it. It's, is that the one it? with uh, Hayden Christensen? Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah totally. He hates sand. Yeah. It's coarse. It gets everywhere. It's every- Not like you. <laughs> oh, gosh. Mm. Um, oh, man. I mean, so I feel like the big, the big question is like, could you put, could you go on a mission that is potentially a suicide mission if you knew it would save all of humanity? There, there's something to that as well, right? Where it's, uh, I, I think I can empathize with that plight because it's always, you know, especially where we like we work in the creative realms, so where you know, they're always talking about stakes or like what, do, what would people do in this situation and how hard would you fight for this? And I just, I'm always a sucker for for these types of films, the, the science fiction films that explore this. We we have to save planet Earth. And it's like, yeah, I agree. Like, let's go do that. That, that sounds like a good thing. <laughs> yeah. And then everything you meet along the way is is secondary, and you have to jump over those hurdles and get it done. And so right now we have you know people volunteering to go to Mars and be on that frontier, and and uh, so yeah, I think I think it's a noble cause. It it for sure it is. But my first question would be, does it have to be me? Will someone else do it? Will this the get question, done either way? No. Yeah. The question is, they're like, they're like, you're the only one who could do this, Lex. You, you're the only one with the resolve. Yeah, but, you're the only one who can who can specialize in this one specific. I would thing. be like, who is it you think I am? <laughs> uh, oh wait, are you Lex B. Michael? No. Oh, okay. Sorry. Oh. We're going next door. Well, well since we're here. Yeah. <laughs> um, no! Guess we have to kill you now. Uh, but I guess to play pinbacker's advocate, mm-hmm. um, is humanity worth saving? Mm, yeah. He's, we're all just stardust. Nothing more. Why should we challenge this? There's, there's that whole yeah. prospect too. Well, that's, uh, isn't that the age old question for, for existence, humanity? What is life but to, to live and to make it better for our next generation? So, yeah, I think I think the message of the movie is don't stare at the sun for too long, because I think that's what's wrong with most people in Los Angeles. We're just in the too sun, sun, too much sun, mm, too many too pinbackers sun. on the Icarus. That's what I always say. Uh, far too many people who do think they're talking to God. It's true. But really, they're just talking to themselves. Mm-hmm. So you can you just, you know, everything's a metaphor for driving from the valley into Hollywood. And so Hollywood is the sun and yeah. you have pinbackers screaming at you along the way on the 101. It's like, oh no. Ah! <laughs> you, you look at your traffic, you look to your right, and you just, ah! Sun's got another one. But he's all he's all refracted again. He's just like this blurry. All of a sudden your vision does a super tight close-up on him. It's like, what's wrong with my eyes? <laughs> he Curse you, Danny Boyle. Curse you. Skin. <laughs> your windshield. Just like, Ugh. <laughs> take it. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Not again. Just what a nuisance. I'm all burned. I have to get new headshots now. <laughs> oh no. If you can think of anything for me, like, can you let me know? Uh, um, keep my ear to the ground. <laughs> so that's me you last season. <laughs> well, it's good that he's working. Yeah. Good yeah. job, Pinbacker. <laughs> I wish you'd stop messing up my car. <laughs> More skin, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, he's always mean to me, but wants favors. <laughs> it's crazy. Guess it's how it is. You know, can't burn those bridges. <laughs> 
golly. Well, it's well, like these films are kind of like um, I'm trying to think of other movies, uh, other genres or or situations where you get to that philosophical level. Like, what's worth living? You don't do that. Or for romantic, most romantic comedies, I'm not going to say all of them. Uh, Twenty. 27 dresses. dresses. That was the first one I thought of too. Yeah. Where it's like they stop and they just go, What's it all mean? What is this? What are we doing? I like I like the finale where Catherine Heigl's slow dancing with her doppelganger. It's just a big CG dress and shit. That's great. Yeah. But uh well, so well, you were gonna say I was gonna say war films. Uh something along those lines where um you just have this this huge it. Is it just the obstacle that you have to overcome or the, the enemy or the, the, the threat and the amount of focus you have to put on it that allows you to get to that point where you, you discuss humanity and philosophize on that? I mean, that's definitely Garland's jam, right? Because like we've talked about two Alex Garland projects on this show before, uh, Ex Machina and Annihilation, one of my favorite movies from last mm, year. Yeah. And they both... You take a sci-fi premise and use it as a way into interrogating big existential questions frequently and explicitly about what it means to be human and examining the human condition and, and the different ways that that uh, we are all varied, but we're all locked in this almost this fatalistic struggle to give meaning to our existence to try and find some sort of purpose before we are in effect eradicated like everything that has ever been and presumably will be like that's his that's his jam right mm-hmm. like you could imagine that and i'm not going to say from alex garland's perspective but like from a certain perspective in this movie um pinbacker could be right like he could have spent so much time with the sun that like the sun is a living breathing thing potentially in this universe. And so what we did to preserve our own existence was take something that was dying naturally and essentially injected it with steroids to make it relive again against its will. Mm-hmm. Uh, playing with with his God. You know, we're, we're playing God if we're doing that. Yeah, it's not right. of our will to to make that happen. But yeah. yeah, so like, what if what if the son wanted to die? What if the son was like, "Yo, like it's my time to go." I've said goodbye to all my grandkids. Uh, you know, I've, I've I've lived a full life. I'm I'm ready to go. And we were like, "No, we're gonna keep you alive. We're gonna put all the tubes in you, and we're gonna just keep you there. <laughs> all the sun tubes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Take you to sun hospital. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, so, it, that that's that's the that's. The problem, really. Well, and then it goes back to the simplest uh, truths where you just have that little, the littlest kernel of, of a window back to planet Earth, and it's just Kappa's sister. Yeah, he says, hey, sis, kiss the kids. And they're out there. It's freezing cold in Sydney, Australia at the end of the film. And so it's, you know, you get to see the, a young generation. The only kids you ever see in the film are in that last scene and because we're surrounded by 30, 40-year-olds that are just, you know, trying to solve this problem, but then you go and you see these kids when they're running up to the hill, they're swinging their arms and being playful. <laughs> and so then I feel like it gets really simple at that point. It's like, oh, like these kids, they, they have a life that they want to live too. They got things that they want to experience. At least I've, that's whenever I go home. Like I'm always surrounded by adults here. Whenever I go home and see my nieces, mm-hmm. it's just like, ah, oh, it can be that easy, that simple. It makes sense. Right. Just, you know, 
the, the next generation passing it on and yeah and making it the best for them so that they can do their best and reignite the sun when they need to and then they hit around our age and realize how badly we fucked it up for them <laughs> resent the shit out of us scramble to try and put it all back together and then inadvertently fuck up the next generation and on and on it goes till the sun really does burn out yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's an ongoing cycle, guys. Yes, yeah. That's it's what the I... best cycle. <laughs> no, we have to make sure that we leave the planet and uh, each generation in a better position that we were that it was in uh, before we go. Climate change is real. That's what I'm saying. No. Make sure you take care of the planet. The, the, we stop using plastic. It's bad. It mm-hmm. doesn't die, biodegrade. Um, guys, we need to start storing all of our fossil fuel instead of using it so we can. We have to have this bomb ready to go because the sun will do this to us. It's a cue ball effect. I think that's what it's called. Actually, I was trying to read an eight ball effect, something along those lines where there's some loose theory about, yeah, the sun could could potentially start burning out like that and then we have to solve that problem so so that's why we're all buying electric cars now because elon musk is storing all of the fossil fuels that we're saving with teslas so that he can build his super bomb and uh and send it off to the sun i mean that the te- the tesla model what was that a model uh x what do you send to space or is just the regular tesla yeah. c model that was a test for what's to come Space driving. Space driving. Um, Drive the space car into the sun. I mean, if I was rich enough, I would hoard all the fossil fuels and be like, figure out an alternative, motherfuckers. (laughs) (laughs) You're screwed. Uh (laughs) I would like slowly release videos on social media of me just doing, uh, making angels (laughs) in petroleum. (laughs) And then one day uh, when I die, because that will kill me, um, I'd be like, you bury all all of it with me. No, you better (laughs) shoot it into space along with your body. (laughs) Yes. And blow it up. And send it back you and all the fossil fuels into a Tesla, like a big string of Teslas, and launch them into space and blow them up. Yep. That's what I would do if I had all the money. Talk about a legacy, you uh, know. That's pretty, that's a, you can't forget that guy. <laughs> Time to go redo the history books. Yeah. Guys, we had a real life Mr. Burns. <laughs> we're, we're really only teaching that guy in school now. Uh. All history is now irrelevant. Mm-hmm. This guy's the only guy that counts. He's altered so much <laughs> that we lost a moon because he shot all of, all of his belongings into it. Yeah. I, I we no longer them. have waves in our ocean. <laughs> yeah, I, I told them to try to miss the moon, but they were like, it's, it's, just, it's the only way. <laughs> that was the one bright spot in your whole will, and they thought, that's got to be a typo. He wants this going to the moon. <laughs> and one guy's just like, we just scraped it. It's it. We just scraped it. We just fucking scraped it. It's all that happened. We just scraped the fucking moon. I swear. Yeah. It makes a pool cue sound when it gets hit. You have the wide shot showing all of his stuff. Tink. <laughs> it just flies. No friction whatsoever. Just, just, oh, no. It's just indefinitely because there's nothing to slow it down. So the moon just goes forever. And Benedict Wong is like, I was only 1.1 degree off. <laughs> People make mistakes. <laughs> Benedict Wong, no. Why, why did we trust you with this major task? What, I'm, what I find wild is that there was he did all of the work, right? Because he was doing all these calculations to alter their trajectory. Mm-hmm. And it was all fine, except he overlooked one detail that was very crucial. 
why wasn't there one other person in the room just that to is, be like, hey, did you remember this thing that will m- maybe mean we don't all die? It's a big, that's a big sticking point where the computer would allow that to happen at all, but then it overrides eventually. Yeah, you're right. That is one point where... I'm not disappointed in the computer. I'm disappointed <laughs> with this crew of ostensibly smart <laughs> professionals. 16 months, man. Everybody, you know, They're complacency tired. sets They're in. They're fucking tired. Look, did you see Chris Evans' beard? <laughs> it's true. Do, need I say more? It's true. It's not a 16-month beard, though. They should have given him a 16-month beard. (laughs) Like a Civil War general beard just growing out of his neck. Mm -hmm. Guys, um, we are running out of time. Oh, really? um, What are your final thoughts about this movie? What should people walk away from this podcast thinking about when it comes to sunshine? For me, I think it, it works on many levels. I mean, we got to the philosophy of it. We started talking about the, the deeper themes after talking about some of the more, you know, the technical aspects. And um, that's really what uh, what I love about the film is is it, you can quite literally just take in shot by shot and go, wow, you know, they made some strong choices with the color, the lighting, the, the lenses they used, the strong choices, the music, the sound design. But then also, while being entertaining and, and having a great pace, it explores some of these these themes without hitting you over the head with them or stopping the movie to, to look you in the face and go, this is bad. This is good. And for all that, I think it gets it done in about two hours. Uh, that's why it's one of my favorite films. And it also flies under the radar so I can champion it and tell people, hey, this one's worth going back and seeing. Yeah, this, uh, this uh, was a movie that apparently uh, Killian Murphy's involvement made him pivot from agnosticism to full-on atheism. So if that doesn't sell you on this thing, I don't know what will. That's all I needed to hear. But on top of that, this is a really great movie. Um, I'm uh, a little bummed that I am only now coming back to it because that's so many years I could have spent watching and re-watching this thing. <laughs> um, I now firmly intend to pick up a copy of it because I want to delve in. I know like Danny Boyle does a commentary. I want to know more about it. I want to spend more time with this thing because I'm insanely impressed by it. Uh, if you like anything Alex Garland's done and you haven't checked this out, check it Check it out. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty dope. Yeah, I think it's uh, this being my first time seeing it, it was captivating. The set design was great. The costume de- design was awesome. Like the very distinct um, uh, very claustrophobic uh, space suits were really interesting. Um, I think the storytelling was great. The cinematography, great. Um, yeah, I, I would highly recommend it. Uh, that's, that's, those are my final thoughts. That's it. Lovely. Watch it for the space suits. Watch it for <laughs> dead Harvey. Yeah. Dead Harvey. If Daft Punk had to go to space, that's what the space suits would look like. I actually read that they were based on Kenny from, uh, from South Park. Oh yeah. That, that, that tracks. Yeah. That very much tracks. Wow. Um, cool. Uh, Brian, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It was a pleasure to talk about this film with you both. Where can people find you if they want to talk to you more? Well, you can find me on Instagram at Bandries. That's B-A-N-D-R-I-E-S. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got any upcoming projects you want to plug or anything? Oh, well, I'm currently putting out music on uh, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere that you listen to music besides FYE. I don't 
There's no physical CDs. Remember FYE, guys? I do remember wow, FYE. Wow, that was a thing. I went to but, the mall, uh, and I was like, I want to pay for some discs. Uh, <laughs> thanks, <but if> you, <laughs> FYE. <laughs> but if you go to my Instagram, uh, I have a link in my description to the music, and uh, you can take a listen. Synthy pop punk stuff. Pretty easy going. Should be a fun listen. Awesome. Uh, what about you, Lex? Where am I? Yes. I don't have any music coming out. Oh, damn. All right, back to Brian. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Tell me more. No. Like, oh, why the my. fuck are you talking to me and Where shit? Where do people find you, you um, jerk pole? <laughs> You're a jerk pole. Uh, yeah. Jerpole? Jerpole. <laughs> What's a jerpole? A wee bit <laughs> dirty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I am on Twitter and Instagram at the Lex Michael. Awesome. You can find me at Tari J, T-A-U-R-I-J-A-Y. But you can find this podcast at Missing Outcast. That's M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. That's on Instagram and Twitter. But if you want to give us a call, get your voice on this podcast on Missing Out Mondays, you can hit up the Missing Out hotline, which is 978-MISS-OUT. Give us a call and let us know what you're into. Let us know what you think about Sunshine. Uh, Let us know what you think about anything. That's true. Let us know what you think about, I don't know, botany. Let us know what you think about uh, mm. bottle cap collecting. That's Just follow I, your follow yeah. I haven't I haven't done that. My I had coin collecting. My mom had a coin collection. And so that they're like bottle caps. Alright, guys, thank you for joining us. We will talk we to ruined you next your week. perfectly good clothes. Until then, we've <laughs> It's it's all right. It's all right. We're going to leave it in. We're going to leave it in and they're going to see that we're human too. Ah, I'm not human. I have spoke to God <laughs> for the last 7 years. Pinbacker, no. <laughs> Scratches it. The, the most heinous act he committed was moving to LA and starting a podcast. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. This has been the retrospective that's introspective. Oh my god, and now you have a new perspective. <laughs> oh my god. Welcome to the Sunday worship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was, I found it very exciting. <laughs> oh, it's bad now. <laughs> it's it's worse than it was. Uh, you're I mean, worse than it was. <laughs> that was in the soundtrack, though. Yeah, I do remember that song in Sunshine. Place <laughs> over the credits. Yeah. Did you know a turkey puppet once ran for the presidency of Ireland? Did you know that meat once rained from the skies of Kentucky? Did you know that there was an emperor of the United States for a while? Then listen to the Wikiship Down podcast. We live in an age when the sum total of humanity's knowledge can be found in your pocket on a smartphone at any given time. But when that knowledge is pure editable, like it is on Wikipedia, what does that say about mankind? So follow us down the digital rabbit hole as we drink, joke, and curse our way through the random button on Wikipedia and see where our journey through humanity's knowledge takes us. While you're at it, follow us on all social media at Wikiship Down. I'm Ruth Ann. I'm Ryan. And be sure to find us every Wednesday on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs>